Hello, campus cronies. Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Turner, higher education professional and true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. Sometimes in this world, the unfortunate violent actions of certain individuals can be explained by severe mental illness, and reform and treatment are viable options. But other times, those actions stem from nothing but pure and utter evil. There's simply no explanation other than the fact that the person chose to be violent or commit a heinous crime. It's disgusting and loathsome, and it just plain sucks. This is the story of how one college student became so jealous and allowed so much hate and evil to build up inside of him that he decided he would take another innocent student's life for the sake of taking a life for no other explanation than the absolute fact that he wanted to do it. The information in today's episode is sure to infuriate you beyond belief, so I do want to throw out a trigger warning. This episode may be extremely hard to hear because of the sheer nature of the events and details of the case. It's titled, Evil Strikes Purdue. So without further ado, let's get started. Andrew Bolt was a brilliant student, a senior studying electrical engineering at Purdue University in Indiana. Andrew was an undergraduate teaching assistant, or TA, for an electrical engineering class as well, which is what he was doing on January 21, 2014. That afternoon, at around 12 p.m., as Andrew stood at the front of the class teaching in a basement classroom of the electrical engineering building, a fellow TA approached out of nowhere and began shooting. The gunman, 23-year-old Cody Cousins, targeted Andrew Bolt and only Andrew Bolt. By all accounts, it was an isolated incident. Students in the building, both in the classroom and surrounding rooms, reported hearing four to five gunshots. Andrew Pauling, a student who was in the electrical engineering classroom with Andrew Bolt, described how he heard a loud pop as he watched his teaching assistant be quote-unquote killed point-blank in front of him. Pauling recalled, quote, As I was turning around, I heard another pop. Then I saw my TA fall to the floor. The guy got on top of him and then shot him in the face, once or twice and maybe two more times, end quote. By the end of it, Cousins had shot Andrew five times, including three times in the face, and he had stabbed and cut Andrew at least 19 times in front of horrified students. Afterward, Cousins fled out of the building. Purdue police soon arrived to find a chaotic scene with students scattered everywhere, many of them running out of the electrical engineering building. 
Inside, they found Andrew Bolt lying on the floor. The only thing left behind were bloody footprints, several spent shell casings, and a knife and handgun that lay on the ground near Andrew's body. As for Cody Cousins, police found him sitting outside with his hands behind his head. His hands and clothes were covered in blood stains. Witnesses quickly identified Cousins to authorities as the person who shot and stabbed Andrew, and Cousins surrendered within minutes of police's arrival. Cousins was arrested on the spot and hauled off to jail in handcuffs. The Purdue police chief, John Cox, said that although Cousins did not resist arrest, he was not otherwise cooperative, as in he wasn't talking or saying anything at all. Meanwhile, back on campus, the gunshots triggered their Purdue University alert system, which included text messages, outdoor sirens, a mass email, and notifications on the university's website. This also activated an initial campus lockdown, which was partially lifted after about two hours. Although the engineering building where the shooting took place continued to be locked down as police conducted a thorough sweep inside and of the surrounding area. In an afternoon campus update, Provost Timothy Sands sent out a mass email that read, quote, the campus is safe, it has been cleared. We're encouraging students to continue about their usual business on the rest of campus, except for the electrical engineering building, end quote. But at a press conference later that evening, Sands announced that classes were canceled for the remainder of the day, so I guess the evening classes, as well as the following day on Wednesday, January 22nd, 2014. Ultimately, classrooms 065 and 067, where the shooting occurred, remain closed for the remainder of the academic year. As you can imagine, students who witnessed Andrew Bolt be brutally murdered were traumatized. I mean, you can't unsee something like that. So thankfully, the university responded accordingly and ensured that counseling services were available for all students, faculty, and staff. On January 21st, 2014, it took nearly five hours before Andrew Bolt was officially declared deceased. At a candlelight vigil held on campus for Andrew that night, the president of Purdue, Mitch Daniels, addressed the students. He said, quote, violent crime, whenever and wherever it occurs, shocks our conscience and incites our rage. When it happens in our home to a family member, and as a Boilermaker, Andrew Bolt was family to us, those emotions are more powerful still, end quote. Two days later, on Thursday, January 23rd, Cody Cousins was officially charged with Andrew Bolt's murder. According to an article in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Magistrate Sean Person entered a not guilty plea on behalf of Cousins during a 10-minute initial hearing, which is considered standard protocol. As for Cousins, he answered all the judge's questions with one-word responses and seemed calm and unbothered. He was then ordered to be held without bail and given a tentative trial date of April 22, 2014. The charge would carry a 45- to 65-year prison sentence with the possibility of the prosecution seeking the death penalty. So at this point, police knew who killed Andrew Bolt, but what they didn't know was why. They didn't understand the motive, and to this day, the motive has honestly never been clear. So who was Cody Cousins and why would he do this? Why would he, out of nowhere, commit such a heinous, horrific crime? Reporters Bill Glauber and Ashley Luthern for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel tried to figure this out by interviewing people who had previously interacted with Cousins. While some said they would have never imagined in a million years Cousins being so violent, others said they did not have positive interactions with him. 
One person they spoke to was Andrew Matiasowski, one of Cousins' roommates in a rental house near campus. And this roommate said the last time he hung out with Cousins was just before the 2013 winter break, so before the 2014 spring semester started. Matiasowski said, quote, A week before the break, I was in his room just chilling and watching Step Brothers with him. I would have never imagined anything like this happening. Obviously, something was wrong in his life. I don't know what. I didn't see any outward expression of that. End quote. However, another student who lived down the street from Cousins, Tom Novak, said otherwise. Novak said, quote, He was calm and calculating and smart. He wasn't a nice guy. He was rude and argumentative. He was intelligent, but he didn't have emotional intelligence, end quote. Novak went on to explain that Cousins would often show up to his apartment unannounced and uninvited, and Cousins would try to steer discussions to scientific ideas and topics. Novak further explained that he experienced Cousins as being incredibly stubborn, you know, like a person who always thought he was right and could never be wrong. The only connection Cousins had to his victim, Andrew Bolt, was through school. According to a Purdue University press release, both Andrew and Cousins were seniors in the College of Engineering, and they were both teaching assistants. While Andrew was a TA for an electrical engineering class, Cousins was a TA for a computer engineering class. But both courses were taught by Dr. David G. Meyer, a professor of electrical and computer engineering who hired both Andrew and Cousins as TAs. By all accounts of his teachers and friends, Andrew was an exceptional student and enthusiastic person. Professor Meyer said, quote, Through his work, I knew him to be a wonderful person, very pleasant. I can't imagine anyone not liking him, end quote. Beyond this connection, according to Dr. Meyer, Cousins was previously enrolled in a class where Andrew was the TA. But it's important to point out that Andrew never graded any of Cousins' work or assignments. Still, Cousins failed that particular class. So, could that be enough of a motive to so horrifically take Andrew's life? Honestly, that's still a burning question that everyone wants to know. But I will circle back around to this potential motive later in the episode. According to Fox 59 News in Indianapolis, Cousins had attended two classes on the morning of the murder. At some point, he left, went back to his apartment to get his weapons, a gun and a knife, and then he returned around noon, which is when the shooting occurred. After shooting Andrew and running out of ammunition, however, Cousins told students in the room to call police, and then he proceeded to pull out a knife and stab and cut Andrew Bolt. Some former students who witnessed the brutal attack and murder said that what they saw and heard that day still continues to haunt them. Oftentimes, loud, sudden noises cause them unease and anxiety which is completely understandable, and I can only imagine how devastating that is to live with. A week after the murder, Andrew's funeral was held in his hometown of West Bend, Wisconsin, where tearful mourners gathered to honor and remember him. So I'd like to take a moment to read Andrew's obituary because it sheds light on the incredible person he was and the hopes and dreams he had in his near future. According to Andrew Bolt's obituary, he was born on June 11, 1992 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He graduated from St. Francis Cabrini grade school in 2006, and then graduated from Marquette University High School in 2010. While in high school, he earned his Eagle Scout rank in 2009 with St. Francis Cabrini Troop 796. He played football, competed as a pole vaulter for the track team, and earned regional awards on the Hilltoppers first robotics team 1732. 
In addition, Drew was a member of the Latin Club and enjoyed competing at state and national junior classical league conventions. At Purdue University, Drew was working toward a degree in electrical engineering and lived all four years in Cary Quad Southwest. He was past president of Cary Racing and worked with a team of students to build and race electric go-karts for the annual Purdue Grand Prix. He also served on the Cary Dorm Board. He was employed by the College of Electrical and Computer Engineering, ECE, as a teaching assistant and served as an officer for the ECE Student Society. Drew also worked as an intern the past two summers for the John Deere Corporation. He was due to graduate in May 2014 and was hoping to accept a full-time job with John Deere. So as you can see, Andrew was a student of many accomplishments with many more to come. So it's just so sad and even infuriating that his life was so tragically taken so terribly soon. Moving on with the timeline though, over the next several months, Cousins was evaluated and reevaluated for mental illness by at least a dozen medical professionals. You heard that right, like at least 12 all while he was locked away for Andrew's murder, you know, before the actual trial or sentencing. But here's the thing, those medical professionals had varying opinions and diagnoses of Cousins, as in nobody could really agree if he experienced mental illness or not, especially at the time of the crime. However, during at least one of his evaluations, Cousins expressed that Andrew quote-unquote represented evil, which is the only type of motive Cousins ever offered for the killing. Well, for now, so again, sit tight. According to Cousin's mother, Dr. Wendy Mellencon, he began experiencing mental health concerns in the spring of 2013, so she took him to a mental health professional. You see, as ironic as it may be, Cousin's mother herself is a clinical psychologist in Warsaw, Indiana, so she acted quickly when he began showing signs of mental illness. At the time, the doctor she took him to believed Cousin's was possibly developing schizophrenia. So, Wendy decided to hospitalize her son, albeit involuntarily, and put him on a 72-hour hold in the summer of 2013. According to the reporting of Haley Checkley for the Exponent, Purdue student newspaper, any attempts from Wendy to help her son were always unwelcomed and rejected by Cousins. It was later revealed in court that Cousins had been to 17 different appointments with Purdue Counseling Services while he was a student, and he had also been treated for amphetamine abuse. According to court documentation, Cousins was documented as exhibiting issues including bipolarism, drug abuse, psychosis, and delusions. Also, according to Fox 59 News, Cousins had a history of drug use. The Lafayette, Indiana police said a witness reported that Cousins bought a gram of ecstasy every 10 days from August to October of 2013. And I'm sure many of you know that this substance, ecstasy, is a drug that can cause hallucinations and even lead to aggressive behavior. But as all these psychologists and mental health professionals were evaluating Cousins, I mean, it only prolonged the murder case. At one point, Cousins asked for a change of venue and new representation. And then in May of 2014, his attorney, I guess his new attorney, filed a notice that he planned to use an insanity defense. Finally, though, on August 21, 2014, Cousins pleaded guilty to the murder of Andrew Bolt. About a month later, on Friday, September 19, 2014, Cousins entered the courtroom for a sentencing hearing. According to the exponent, the court's decision on September 19th was to determine if Cousins was eligible to be found guilty with mental illness, which would then subsequently allow him to receive therapy in prison, or if he would be found guilty without mental illness playing any part in the murder. 
So essentially, was Cousin sane or mentally ill when he chose to take Andrew Bolt's life? That was the question. And that would be a decision for the judge after hearing testimony from three of the psychiatrists who examined Cousins, from two detectives, from parents of both Andrew and Cousins, as well as Dr. Meyer, the professor who hired both students as TAs. A court-appointed psychiatrist, Dr. Steven Berger, testified first, stating that he believed Cousins did show symptoms of intense psychosis and bipolar disorder, which was most often present while under the influence of amphetamines. According to Berger, Cousins' abuse of these psychoactive drugs was what attributed to the murder. And Berger clarified that by also saying that mental illness or mania did not play a part in the murder, you know, based on his expert opinion. But another mental health specialist, Dr. Vernon Little, diagnosed Cousins with schizophrenia, and he argued that Cousins' mental illness had been present for some time leading up to the murder. And he believed that it would be highly unlikely that his mental state did not affect Cousins' decision to commit the murder. According to Fox 59 News, Dr. Little also said that there was no doubt in his mind that Cousins was in fact mentally ill, that he had been mentally ill for years, and he believed the condition would only continue and intensify. Regardless of whether the judge would determine Cousins as mentally ill or not, it didn't change the fact that he still took another person's life. An innocent, talented, brilliant person, a son whose parents were left grieving and devastated. At the sentencing hearing, Andrew's father, James Bolt, expressed that he and his wife, Mary, cry nearly every day as he cheerfully said, quote, Andrew's hands were too damaged for his mother to hold them. No parent should have to see this. The images of my son can never be erased from my memory, end quote. And those images, y'all, I just can't even begin to fathom. You see, the murder was so evil, so gruesome, that even the pathologist that examined Andrew's body testified that it was, quote, the worst homicide I have ever seen, end quote. Then Mary Bolt addressed Cousins in court. She looked straight at him and asked, quote, did you even know my son, Andrew? He was trustworthy, loyal, helpful. What did he do to you to make you so mad? Why did you do it? You must have had a reason. I've been waiting here all afternoon to hear it, end quote. Mary continued to express how it took five grueling hours for Purdue officials to confirm Andrew had died, and she explained how it was the longest five hours of her life. She said, quote, Mr. Cousins, you intended to make my son suffer before he died. How dare you? How dare you? I'm haunted by a mental picture. Mr. Cousins, you blasted holes in many hearts that can never be closed, end quote. Mary went on to say that Andrew would have wanted to be an organ donor, but because his wounds were so severe, so brutal, the family couldn't donate anything. Mary concluded her statement by asking the judge for the maximum sentence. She said, quote, my son, Drew, wasn't the only victim of that crime. How dare he put lives at risk, end quote. Here's the thing though, after all the mental health evaluations, after all the months of delaying sentencing and putting Andrew's parents through prolonged agony as they waited for justice to play out, Cousins finally spoke up in court and for the first time, he gave more than a one word answer. And y'all brace yourselves because this will send chills down your spine. At his sentencing hearing, when all testimony was said and done, Cousins addressed the court in a statement saying, quote, I have a confession to make. I lied to those doctors. I made up all that crap about Andrew being evil. I killed Andrew because I wanted to. 
I do what I want and deal with the consequences later. My mother is a skilled clinician, except in the case of her son, end quote. Um, yeah, I'll let that sit with you for a minute as you pick your jaw up off the floor. Anyway, during his closing statement, Prosecutor Pat Harrington argued that the murder was not a result of bipolar disorder or any other mental illness. He said instead it was caused by Cousins' drug use. And Harrington even went as far as questioning if Cousins legitimately had a mental illness or if he was truly faking his symptoms because he had pretty extensive knowledge of mental health, you know, considering the fact that his own mother is a clinical psychologist. Harrington questioned Cousins' mental health even further by pointing out the varying diagnoses of all the mental health professionals. Um, the fact that none of them could agree on Cousins' mental state was a huge problem, and I second that. After all testimony was delivered, Judge Thomas Bush took all the information and carefully deliberated Cousins' sentencing. When he came back to deliver the sentence, he concluded that envy led to Andrew's murder, and he even called it a story of Cain and Abel. Judge Bush said Cousins became frustrated by his lack of success and inability to achieve independence, which led to intense, unhealthy envy. The judge further said he refused to find Cousins guilty with mental illness. Oh, no, no. He said Cousins was just plain guilty. More specifically, Judge Bush said, in part, quote, violent thoughts led to violent actions. That's not insanity. That's not mental illness. That's what happened. This is a crime of hatred. It's also a crime of terror. Cousins chose a place where people were gathered, end quote. Judge Bush ultimately gave Cousins the maximum sentence of 65 years in prison, but Cousins was given credit for the 240 days he had already served. Afterward, though, Prosecutor Harrington told the media that he's never, ever seen a defendant make the comments in open court that Cousins did. It utterly baffled him. Regarding Cousins' words, Harrington said, quote, they should chill not only you to the bone, but also society, end quote. But if you think that's where the story ends, just hold on to your seats because there's more. Exactly one month and 10 days after he was sentenced, Cousins was found deceased in his Michigan City cell on October 29, 2014. It was apparent that he had died by suicide. According to the Indy Star, 24-year-old Cousins was found unresponsive during a routine security check just before 9 p.m. He was found with self-inflicted lacerations to his neck and both arms. Prison staff attempted to revive him when they found him, but their efforts failed. He was officially declared deceased at 9.20 p.m. The Indy Star reported that it appeared Cousins used a razor to self-inflict the rooms. And just FYI, inmates are allowed to have razors to shave. Dr. Berger, one of the psychiatrists who evaluated Cousins previously and testified at his sentencing hearing, said there are two ways to make sense of any death by suicide, which, if you ask me, is pretty common sense. But he said that Cousins either killed himself due to his mental illness, or he simply decided to take his own life without any psychological symptoms involved. And if you remember, Berger had originally testified that Cousins suffered from a mental illness, but that the mental illness didn't play a part in the murder. So he said the same could have happened in his decision to take his own life. So as y'all know by now, I do not like to end my episodes talking about the perpetrator. Instead, I like to focus on the victims and bring awareness to how violence and true crime can impact a college campus. And the same is true for this episode as well. So I'd like to end by talking about Andrew Bolt and the positive impact he had on so many around him. According to the reporting of Taylor Carlier for The Exponent, 
Andrew left a ripple effect with almost every person he interacted with. Andrew was a former Eagle Scout, and his troop leader, Don Koloski, said, quote, So many of the people that Andrew met these past 21 years in our troop and communities were left with a touch of his infectious spirit of joy, compassion, smile, and inquisitiveness, end quote. You see, no matter the day or the weather, Andrew could be seen wearing his iconic t-shirt and cargo shorts outfit, which was always accompanied by his big heartfelt smile. Andrew also strived to help others in everything he did. For example, a former fellow teaching assistant of Andrew, E.J. Williams, recalled Andrew's desire to always go above and beyond. E.J. said, quote, I know multiple people on campus with whom he stayed up past 4 a.m. teaching them the material. He spent so many hours outside the lab just kind of helping people learn the material because he knew it so well, end quote. During his time at Purdue University, Andrew lived in Cary Quad for all three and a half years, and he also was the vice president of Cary Racing, an organization that builds and races Grand Prix carts. And he also participated in Purdue First Robotics, which is a mentoring program that teaches junior high and high school students about robotics. So there is no doubt that Andrew Bolt was an incredible person and brilliant student who left a positive legacy on the campus of Purdue University and in the hearts of so many fellow students, faculty, family, and friends. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 59. Be sure to check out my social media where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Chronicles on both Facebook and Instagram, or you can follow my personal account on Instagram at Nicole K. Lynn. That's K-A-L-Y-N-N. And be sure to check out my TikTok, campus crime podcast for some additional campus crime stories and I definitely have at least one or two new stories up there so y'all go check that out okay well that's all for today so bye for now campus crime chronicles is researched written and recorded by me Nicole Turner and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway tune in again in two weeks for the next chronicle